next song uh, the next two songs actually are from Eurovision's youngest offspring who is currently eight Eurovision years old this is of course European Australia kicking off in 2016 with Dami Im and I can't think for the life of me why I want to include this classic on your playlist oh my goodness this is a song that you didn't like no that was cake to bake yeah yeah oh, no he's see. being ironic oh, okay, okay. <laughs> he, he loves it Phew. we all love it <laughs> go for it I love it Oh, she's fantastic! Okay. Yeah, you're. What's the word? Um, Amazing. No, no, what's the word? When you vindicated, you vindicated yourself. Yeah. You know what? I remember being in rehearsals, and when this came on, everyone was like, "Whoa!" and they applauded. And like the press room, it's quite a tough crowd, but mm-hmm. people were applauding, people were clapping. This was—you knew this could win the jury vote. Like it was obvious the moment she rehearsed. Never has there been such an inverse proportionality between the size of somebody's physical frame and the power of the lungs behind the voice. That little woman making that sound, I think that was part of the reason. I think it was just the kind of, oh my God, where did that come from? Yeah, and they zoomed out really far, not just to show off the stage, but to show off how tiny she was, for that very reason, I think. Yeah, and that wonderful moment, we'll get onto the song in a minute, folks. Um, She's up there on that kind of inflated cube, and... She's got three seconds to get from the top of that. Which you don't see, do you? How did she get down? No, there's a top shot. Did she jump? And five or six men, all looking like someone from the milk tray advert, all dressed in black, all come in, pull her down as the top shot. Um, Just basically, the the director says, you've got three seconds to get her from up there, down there. And miraculously, there's a head-on camera shot, and she's suddenly walking towards you, and you think, how did she get from up there? It's amazing. Yeah. One thing I don't like, mm. when she's touching the digital graphics, like she's moving them with her hands. FaceTime. Oh. Maybe for the time that was like novel, but it hasn't aged well that bit. Sound of silence. It's the sound of silence. Play the fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to feel your love through FaceTime Symphonies of dreams and highlights Caught up in this crazy fast life But baby, you're not here with me And I keep calling, calling, keep Tired of waves of tears are crashing 
The Sound of Silence. I love the uh, Simon and Garfunkel version. What? That jokes deserved the Sounds of Silence. Thank <laughs> you certainly much. did, didn't it? <laughs> were, were you actually disappointed that that didn't win? I was. <laughs> I really wanted her to win. I, maybe it's because I'm half Asian. I was like, she's up there singing for all of us. It was that moment. I was like, <laughs> I really wanted to see Australia win too. Partly because a lot of people are so negative about Australia. And I would have loved Australia to win just so they would have to sort of eat it. Yeah. I, I mean, they debuted so well the previous year with Tonight Again. Uh, and people said, well, they're never going to do better than that. Because, I mean, coming fifth with that song was fantastic. And then she pulls this out of the hat and everyone goes, wow. And, of course, what well, I mean, what again, we, we talked about 2015, but 2016, God, Jamala, Sergey, Lezara, you know, seventh after the jury vote, suddenly getting 361 televotes and almost coming up the rails to to to, to win but calm um, down darling calm down I know. Smoke the voting was really oh, exciting and Mikhail Spark as well that huge leap oh. yeah all the drama 25th after the jury vote and coming third in the tally vote extraordinary let's go on to the next one this makes me go right goosey this song I love it it's health and safety in the workplace it's practically illegal but what a performance and what more do you have to do to win hello Kate Miller Heidkit giving us some popper on a right big bendy stick why have you chosen this one she won her semi-final, just like Dami Eam. Uh-huh. Second time a female Australian had done that. That's incredible when you think about it. They've only been here since 2015, uh-huh. and they've won the semi-final three times. That is a huge hit, because they won again in 2023. Um, avoid it. Yeah, so that hit record is unbelievable. But this was just incredible television. We had not seen anything like this. Woman on a sway pole, giving us opera, singing about postpartum depression. I mean, this was it was so wackadoodle, it was perfect. I play this to Maitland last night who doesn't know anything about Eurovision and he was just gobsmacked silent all the way through like this 
That's some... was that was that more the visuals than the actual music? Or... Yeah, yeah, I hated the song. <laughs> <laughs> and, as pl- and as a gay man, I can relate with someone who you know can ride a big pole. Oh, oh wow. we've never heard that before. <laughs> oh, you always get the dildo singing. Let's Thank play zero gravity. Sorry, ma'am. Hey you. It's me again. Hey you. Stone in my shoe I've been aching Fiamor You're so heavy I have got to let you go I'm going with his zero Gravity Zero gravity, zero gravity. Clermont's that big bendy pole. Oh, yeah, they rolled her out during Switzerland's performance. Yeah, so she was already in position when Luca Hani was finishing. And then they take a pole with them and they put the mic on the end of the pole and they pass it up to her right before she goes on. Oh, my God. So she was up there for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if her legs were uh, numb. How long did it take for her to come back down again? Gosh, they roll her off. I don't know what happened backstage. I don't know where they rolled her, how they rolled her. Oof, would chafed, you would chafed. you like this as much had it not been so physically ambitious and amazing? No, no, no. I think okay. this is the perfect marriage of visual and sort of the aural, not oral, aural. Um, yeah, it just worked. It was very Disney meets Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so let me introduce the D word. Did Deben like it? Deben! Deben! Hey. Let's do this! <laughs> Let, let's just do one. But did, did Deben like this? Oh, gosh, you know, his taste is so difficult it's, for me to predict. You cannot guess, no, me, what he's going to like. You never know. No, His no. whole Despofuego thing, he hated Luca Hani, which I thought he would love. Did you mm. not like Luca Hani? I loved the Luca Loved Hani. Luca Hani. Yeah. Like yeah. Love Fuego. Did not like Luca Hani. He got me. He got me. Yeah. Yeah. As I can tell. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> but uh, that must keep things interesting when you can just never second guess. Oh, absolutely. Your closest companion on Wee Wee Blogs. It's funny, Debin is at once very open on camera, but also very guarded. So I've never been to his house. Okay. And we've known each really? other forever. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's a man of mystery, even to me. <gasps> Do you know where he lives? Yeah, yeah, very close to me, actually. He okay. lives, like, down the street, which okay. makes it even weirder that I've never been to his house. Well, you're always colliding on the street, but you've never actually <laughs> yeah. been in through the door. Yeah. When are you so going to stalk him? <laughs> During the pandemic, we saw each other all the time on the street. You know, you know, socially distanced, of course. But it's like, yeah, he remains the biggest mystery in my life. And when you film those little videos together in a park or somewhere, mm. where's that? I, just in Camberwell. We just, people think we're crazy. They've got their dogs, they've got their kids, and we've got a tripod. <laughs> like, what's going on? And nothing is scripted, so everything is just completely off the cuff. And um, But there must be some amazing outtakes of little old ladies coming up and saying, oh. excuse me, love, what are you doing? Yeah, more like, can you please be quiet, love? <laughs> oh, really? oh, wow. Can I just say... I. When I started watching Weebly Blogs, I love watching you and Devon riff together. You are magic together. Oh, You're thank so, you so good. much. I, there's a weird chemistry in alchemy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I thought he was a weirdo when I met him. Love you, Devon. But we were in <laughs> Dusseldorf, and he contests this story. We were in Dusseldorf, and I think it was Dana International. I look over, and there's this guy with dreadlocks taking notes. He was taking notes during all the performances. I'm like, why is he taking notes? Shouldn't he be watching the show? He's paid like 300 euros for these fan tickets. And um, yeah. And so my friend who was with him was like, oh my God, he's so weird. But then we met at a church, weirdly, where Azer Azerbaijan's Nick Eleniki were hosting a celebratory event in Westminster Cathedral in London. And they invited every Eurovision blog. So like half the universe was in this um, Methodist church in Westminster Square. They must have been running scared. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I like to see what you've done there. And then Devin appeared and said, darling, I want to write about Eurovision for you. But more importantly, I want to write about Atomic Kitten. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then a friendship was born. Mm -hmm. And is that how you met? Yeah, that was the first time we talked properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought he was actually, I was like, you're crazy. Because he would turn up at concerts of singers who were famous in small circles many years earlier. And he would like wait by the stage door and be like, darling, Angie Brown. I still don't know who Angie Brown is. Darling, Angie Brown, would you like to sing for the BBC at the Eurovision Song Contest? And she'd be like, absolutely. And then he'd be like, we've got to put this on YouTube. <laughs> and that's how it all started. But Wee Wee Blogs is replete with eccentrics. And I think one of the most eccentric characters that is Sinan. Oh, he's incredible. I mean... And people don't realize his backstory. I'll give you the very top line because it would take too long. Born in Bulgaria, Turkish father. The father immigrates to Germany. I want to say he, he was... He was doing a, a very difficult job to better the life of his wife and child who were still living in Bulgaria. The mother... Sorry, a heterosexual Eurovision fan. So Sinan... Uh, yeah, it, well, his parents, it's interesting. His parents are so supportive. Like, his dad built him a Lady Gaga shrine. 
and it's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, the mother was working as a cleaner in Germany, and Sinan had to, he didn't speak German. He was 17 and suddenly living in Germany, so he had to learn German, got a job at the shopping mall. He's just incredible. And now he, like, just, you see him on YouTube speaking English and drag queen vernacular. He's learned through RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> and through Ruby Blogs, and I'm just so proud of him. Exactly. He's learned English through Drag Race. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. It's, it's so charming. Amazing. But actually, uh, last Pride, I met Sinon on the DLR, and we started talking oh, wow. Eurovision. First of all, he's a lot taller than you think he is. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also, he's he's so lovely. So he's sincere. So mm. sincere, you know. Yeah. And it, it was great meeting him. Oh, I just want to applaud you. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we move on to the next one? Ooh. I know for a fact that you're wetting yourself right now. This is my favourite. Uh, look at his little face. <laughs> I'm about to cry because the contest was cancelled and it would have won. Oh it would have no, won. It would have won. It would have won. It would have won. It would have won. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, what do I know? Antonio Diodato, spill forth. Per Mark's point, this would have won the Eurovision Sound Contest. Do you reckon? There was a lot of yeah. hype about Daddy, which was great. There was a lot of hype about Little Big. They were great. However, this was the emotional song. This We saw this in Turin. When they staged this, they staged it so beautifully. He absolutely owned every second of it. The fact that Eurovision would have been taking place during a pandemic, they would have had all the press about how this was the pandemic song people in Italy sang on their balconies. This had the media story. This had the heart. And it resonated with the times. And the thing is, William, also, Lithuania on fire. Uh, Daddy from uh, Iceland, Russia, a little bit. They were all fishing in the same yeah. pond for the votes. This one stood out as the. I mean, God, has there been a better singer from Italy? And Italy have had great singers, but Diodato, you know, when he came back to sing this in 2021, was it? Or 22? 22, 22. I mean, it's just like, oh, gosh, we could have had that in 2020. Yeah. Se poi penso sono un animale E se ti penso tu sei un animale Forse questo temporale Che mi porta da te E lo so non dovrei farmi trovare Senza un ombrello anche se Ho capito che Per quanto ho fugato
I thought he should have sang in the final of oh. the following year and not in the semi-final. He was in a massive injustice there. A great song. A great song and the greatest song that was never allowed to win the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> um, and infinitely preferable to Moneskin, I'm sorry. I know there are other people in the room who love that. And it's, you know, chalk and cheese and different styles and all the rest of it. No, but... no one in this room, unfortunately. Uh, uh, well... <laughs> yes, uh, Juan will defend Zite e Buoni to, um, uh, to his death, I'm sure. But um, Diodato, fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Um, ben Celto, well chosen. Ah, oh, thank you so much. One other reason I chose him was, I won't name names, but some artists can be a bit diva-like. He was the biggest anti-diva, mm. just so warm, so kind, wanted to talk mm. to everybody, no drama. Can I ask, for how long have you been in this position where you like meet artists and actually get a personal impression of them? Ah, uh, so the first time, you know what's funny? In 2010, I was accredited to do press for the magazine I was working for, but I was so nervous. I didn't want to go into the press room. And so I was tweeting. You, you're a journalist who didn't want to go into the press yeah, room. Yeah, but I was fine doing Sort of like, chauffeur doesn't want to drive a car. It problem. was bizarre because, you know, I was going to prisons, I was going to court cases. But I didn't want to go to the Eurovision press room. <laughs> and it was very strange. So I was tweeting. Oh, how you've changed. Yeah. <laughs> then Ewan from ESC Insight, he said, come to the press room. You're in Oslo. I was like, all right. So I went to the press room. And then I wanted to go to the prison. No, I'm just kidding. I loved every minute of it. And so, it, yeah. I, but I didn't start actively meeting singers till 2011. Okay, cool. And okay, this does not necessarily have to um, be included in the podcast. If it's too shady. Who's but, the bitch? No, 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 no. I just mean as a member of like Eurobliss, we are a program. We love Eurovision. We do it by our own volition. It's a, it's a, it's a labor of love. How is your relationship with other channels that are in the, uh, in the community in the? Oh, it really varies. It mm -hmm. really varies. And I'd say like when we first started, it's funny. I won't say who. But I remember we were trying to go to one of the big events <laughs> and they were the accreditation. They were like, what? You're with what? That that wee wee thing? Well, what is that? And they're very dismissive. And I just remember being really irritated because I was like, this is supposed to be a fandom where everyone is welcome, where everyone, mm -hmm. you know, we all love the same thing. And I just felt like there were a lot of walls that went up. And um yeah, but early on, it, people don't know who you are, and that's great. So every some people are just more open to you. But then once people have some concept of you, even if it's completely, like, not true, they've never spoken to you, but they've spoken to people who claimed it. You know, people start talking, saying things that aren't true, truths get bent. It's very strange. And so I'm not going to say that I'm wary of people, but, you know, I do dip into message boards and, and then I see names and I see comments, and then I don't do anything about it. But then I'll see these people in real life, and it's, oh, honey, hi. <laughs> and I'm just, I keep my smile on. I'm American. <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, I will never, ever say anything personal to you. There's that great quote from Elizabeth Taylor in that film, A Mirror Cracked, when she turns to her um, fellow competitor actress and says, there's only two things I hate about you. Your face. But also, I think one of the great dilemmas you guys have, and we don't have this problem because like nobody knows who we are. Uh, <laughs> My uh, mother does. <laughs> um, you've got to get these artists to speak to you. Uh, 
And that's difficult because, you know, you can easily be accused of cozying up, not being critical, not saying stuff that's kind of honest and just saying everything's all marvellous, darling. Uh, how do you square that circle? It's hard, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's really funny. So can I just honestly say, as a viewer of Weebo Blogs, mm. sometimes I feel that. I feel oh, that. Like so you, you are like... Um, so actually... Frightened so actually, you frightened to go you are, where you need to go. You are, you are on a knife's edge. You know mm. what I mean? It's really interesting. So I've rewatched videos where you've been accused of that. And I think I use English very precisely. And I may be smiling, but if people listen to what I'm actually saying yes. and judge it against the baseline... You're of, very good at coding, I think. Yeah. And I think mm. I just trust people to decode. And if they don't... That's okay. It's fine because Deben's there <laughs> and he's a bit more explicit. But it's not just decoding with him. I think body language. Yeah. I think yeah. it's very clear for those of you who yeah. watch your videos long enough that when, when you... There's a language. You, you, you enthuse massively, spontaneously about something you really love and you're very warm and polite about things, about things that actually they don't really... Go. You won't say this is rubbish. It's terrible. Yeah. You shouldn't even have entered the contest. You're never going to go like that. But it's fairly clear to people <laughs> that you don't actually. You know, they're scoring at five on ten, not at nine on ten. Yeah, I'll just say if I'm describing someone's car in a music video rather than the singer, you know, <laughs> read that for what you will. Um, but also, you're never going to please anyone, and this is one of the big dilemmas. The bigger your audience becomes, just it's a numbers game. More people are going to have different opinions, and so no matter what you say, you're going to piss someone off so oh, if you trash a song you're a horrible person you're so mean but if you praise a song oh you're in bed with everyone so you can't it's impossible and so at the end of the day you just have to get on with it and what i will say and this is something people don't really i want to make a series on this we're going to do this actually with our archival footage is i respect a singer like blanca from poland because our reaction video to her song in poland it was we were really really damning like very damning yet she came to the lush lounge did an interview mm. you know she showed us what she was made of she improved and she had the courage and the kindness to come do the interview and it was like a beautiful moment yeah. and like because when you don't like a song it doesn't mean you don't like the singer yeah. and people think if you diss a song you're dissing the person and you're not and the singers are mature enough most of the singers are mature enough to know that Aneta Tarifa this was our most savage review video of all time and then we bumped into her at the London Eurovision party. Sorry, who, who, who? Uh, Aneta Tarifa, mm -hmm. Albania 2016, okay. fairy tale. And we were like, in the music video, we said, oh, fairy tale's a nightmare. I mean, we were really mean and cutting. And then we met her in London and she said, you know, I'm a comedian in Albania. I host a TV show. I understand you're doing what is your vocation, your, your interest. Yeah. It is not personal. And then she cast us in her music video remix. Like, you know, I, she's... An artist, an established artist. And she's a grown-up. Yeah, and she's mature enough to get it. But then there are other artists who, I, I won't name names. Um, you can wait and listen on, we'll bring a YouTube video about it. But this person, <laughs> this person, um, in our re reaction video during the rehearsals at Eurovision, we were like, these things need to be improved upon. A, B, and C, she's not the problem. It's her people. It's the broadcaster. It's what's behind her. She's doing great. And then this person sort of attacked me in the interview and was like, how dare you say A, B, and C? And I was like, that's not hate. Those are tips to improve for the finals. Like, I'm not a hater. And then people are like, oh, she confronted him. Uh-huh. I'm like, that was called a meltdown because a year later, she's on TV saying the network didn't do A, B, and C. She said the exact same thing. And we were flagging it at the time. I'm sorry. Sometimes being an ally is saying what's difficult to say in those key moments. But then people want to say, oh, you're a bitch. And, you know, you're never going to please everyone. So. It's your power of exposure now, as it reached such a point, given the fact that you are the go-to uh, place for people who are following Eurovision, 
do the do the artists and their promoters? You don't have to go chasing them. Are they, are they chasing you? Are they ringing you up and you saying, you know, when are you going to get our guy on? When are we going to do an interview? I mean, you know, it's like, oh my god, you know, hang on, get in the queue. You know. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I remember. I won't. I, again, I don't want to name delegations, but I remember there was a time when it was like, I'd like an interview, please. And they're like, who? Who? And then suddenly everything changes when you have YouTube. And then it was like, basically pretty quickly after YouTube was established, they were like, I felt awkward. They're like, oh, you can skip the queue. And I was like, oh, no, I'll just wait. They're like, no, no, no. go. It, it became awkward. It becomes awkward. And then you start to question, oh, is ooh, do they respect what we do? Is it just for the publicity? Well, you just don't know people's motivations. But generally, generally at this point, because it's been <clears throat> so long, you do have relationships with people, and like, but they're also mature, so they get that you may not like their act, and like, they keep you in the loop about what's going on. But also, to stay in the loop, you don't reveal. So like, there's lots of tea and secrets, but you don't reveal that because then you'll never get tea and secrets again. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm talking in a circle here and completely forgot the question. But um... <laughs> we love it. We love it. And actually, I have a little question to add on to that. As Weebly Blogs becomes more of like a Eurovision institution, right? Williams from BB Blog from BB from BB from Weebly Blogs also becomes an institution. How do you with the Weebly Blogs and everything like that, and you have to and you represent that, how do you separate that from like the, just the pure Eurovision fan? Or do uh, you do you separate that? So I've just remembered what I was going to tell Mark. So we're going <laughs> to come right back to that. Is, I guess to answer that question, the Lush Lounge in Liverpool is a really good illustration. When the EBU was like, oh, we're closing the press center, hmm. I could have just stayed home. But I was like, no, we'll just do something and see who comes. And then Boom most, came. yeah, most of them came. And so I think... It's not just, oh, it's just Weebly Blogs. It's, I think we're a bridge between a lot of fans and a lot of artists. And so it's just a nice synergy. Um, so I think that probably answers the question. Like The fact that they were willing to come, that was a beautiful thing. And so thank you very much for everyone who came. Um, in terms of your question, mm -hmm. it's, I would love just to be a fan again. But now it's like, if I, I don't tweet my personal opinions very often because I know that people will screen grab them, start spinning theories, make accusations. I remember someone accused me once. It has weights, right? I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's like, but people create these narratives like, oh, you're paid by X because you like their song. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you could also just look at our Wee Wee Jury from two years ago. I hated their song. You know, it, they try to create these stories that just are not logical. Listen, as a gambler, you guys change the betting odds within seconds. Oh, you, my you, gosh. you go on after a first rehearsal, there's you and Devon absolutely going, you know, crazy about something. And I'm looking there <laughs> at William Hill and Labrooks, and I'm seeing the Netherlands falling from 50 to 1 to 3 to 1 in the space of like 10 minutes. And I know it's because of you guys. Oh, I can be stressful. The, the first time that happened was Malta 2016 era Lasco. This was walk on water. And I need, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, so I'll just do it here. Basically, Ooh, yeah. All ears. <laughs> Euro Bliss, we are here for you. So, this was when reaction videos were still relatively new in the Eurovision space. And Maltese television was like, why don't you react? We'll give you a first listen of Walk on Water. We've changed the song away from Chameleon. You can have the first uh, listen and film a reaction video. So I thought, great. I didn't realize a bunch of people from the network, the PR would be on the phone while I was doing it because they wanted to play the video through Skype. And then they're sitting right there. So it's like, all right. Am, am I going to, to use your phrase, trauma dump? I, if I don't like this, and this is before I heard it, will I trauma dump here in front of these people? Oh and um, it was really awkward. And the thing is, when I heard the song, I was like, yeah, this is going to do really well with the jury. It was obvious. In the end, I was vindicated because it did. It came fourth in the final with the jury, I think. And I think it won the jury or came second in the jury in its semifinal. So like, but was this going to win Eurovision? Absolutely not. But in the video, I, I was hyping it. And I said, um, this could be Malta's best entry ever because 
word was they were going to get a big water tank and she was going to walk on water. There were other things that weren't revealed publicly at the time that we knew. So we were hyping it for things unseen. Mm -hmm. And also there was pressure in the room. Um, and people were like, oh my God, this is crap. Because then the odds, she shot up the odds. And then when it came out, people were like, wah, wah, we be blind. Oh my God. So I was just so happy when she did well with the juries to be like, <laughs> this radar was still working. It hadn't got rusty yet. But um, there's all this other stuff happening that people aren't aware of. They just see the video. Um, so there's a lot of pressure, stress. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right in the spotlight. You know, it's a privilege and it's also a curse. It is. But it goes both ways. And so you just have to remove yourself from all of it. And that's why I'm lucky, like, I like the people. But listen, as an experienced journalist now of 35 years, it's very similar to working in the Palace of Westminster. You need these contacts in the cabinet and in the party. But my God, if you write a really nasty piece about them, they're going to stop talking to you. They'll, they'll delete you from their contacts list. They won't have lunch with you. And you're in this supping with the devil thing where I need you, you need me, but we can't actually shit on each other. Uh, but there's sometimes you said the S word. I can't believe yeah, it. It's amazing. But sometimes uh, that's at the expense of truth. But you know what? That's I think we're actually pretty. It's funny because like Blanca Poland, we watched that review video, but then we're still on great terms. And actually, I'm with you on Blanca. Yeah. Oh, I hated that song. I think that I know. I think we've struck a healthy balance because if people actually listen to like what I'm saying and watch my body language, you can tell what I'm feeling. So this next one uh, just got 97 points from the expert jury, but it got a massive 267 points from the expert public. So one of many massive discrepancies in the history of the show over the last few years. So that leads me to ask you, what do you think of the current voting system? Do you think it's fair? Do you think it's right? Can it be improved? Blah, blah, blah. I think there's no perfect voting system. There's really not. And there's always going to be an instance where you personally agree with the jury or you personally agree with the public vote. And so depending, if you ask people, their opinion will change year by year based on how their favorites did. Mm. I would, however, like to see it tweaked slightly. Mm. I think the public does matter more than the jury, and I'll tell you why. I think juries vote based on their personal reputation. They vote based on, oh, my name will be attached to this. I've got to protect my street cred at home. I don't want people to think you know, I'm silly or stupid. And so they don't vote with their heart. Eurovision voters vote with their heart. They don't have an agenda always. It's just what moves them on the night. But when you're on these juries, because, you know, let's face it, fans bully people. You see this whenever jurors don't vote the way the public wants, the fans can get really nasty. Death threats. It's extreme. <laughs> it's really extreme. Do you remember that? Well, death threats. I Did send you, death threats. You no, no. send death threats, but you have seen you do. I've seen you do death threats. And so the result of that is jurors play it safe. And so I'd like a system that's maybe 60-40. So uh -huh. it's still very close. I'm with William. Yes. So we're in 2021, and again, it's one of our all-time favourite songs. It is Shum by Go A. Why have you picked this one? This song is incredible. Isn't it? It doesn't age. When you hear this in a club, which I've been lucky enough to do many, or to hear it there many times, everyone's moving, even if they never heard it before. It's like some kind of techno witchcraft, you know? It's like she gets in your soul with this beat. And um, the fact that, you know, Spring Awakening, all that, and she grew up near Chernobyl, that's quite moving. Yeah. It's really powerful. And they're just, she's very touching as a figure when you talk to her. Um, she doesn't say that much, but what she says is so powerful. Let's play the song. Весняночка, весняночка, дете зимувала, Йо садочка на клиночку, сорочечку пряла. Там у лісі, на юзлісі, сова воду туя. 
song. We all love that song. Um, William, apart from being wee-wee, bog, supremo and Eurovision enthusiast, what's your day job? So I work at the BBC. Um, what's up? <laughs> so sometimes I present the travel show and... My main job, though, is I'm a senior producer on a news podcast for young people on the BBC World Service. It's brand new. Um, yeah. How do you fit BBC life in with Eurovision life, particularly between February and May? It must be a nightmare. It's really hard. And <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I'm sort of, you know, I was Liverpool was supposed to be my last Eurovision. It, yeah, I was. everything was planned. How it do you was, mean your last year? Oh, I was done. Everything was going to shut. I had the whole strategy worked out. Like you want to quit Weebly Blogs? Yeah, so I didn't upload over what? the summer. If you go on the website, there was nothing. In the YouTube, there was nothing. Because I was, why? I was done. Why? 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 It's exhausted. It, it's so exhausting. I won't even talk about the cease you, and desist letter from the EBU. Again. Say again? You want to be a fan again? Just a yeah, fan again. I just want to like yeah. have a normal life. You know, and enjoy myself. Um, so we can now exclusively reveal that William is handing over the future running of Weeby Blogs to Europlist. Yes. Hooray! So that's why you said BB earlier, BB Blogs. Legally, not BB. <laughs> but um, so things are still in flux. So watch the space. We'll see what happens. It's just, it's very difficult when you have a full time job. At my previous job at the BBC, I worked a 24 7 rota. So sometimes I'd be working 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. But the benefit of that is after you do four of those, you get 10 days off. And so I had a lot of time, despite my horrible schedule, to make Weeby Blogs kind of, to help Weeby Blogs thrive. But now I need to make a decision because, like, at this point, the internet, everyone duplicates everything. And so it's like, do I really need to have a website? Maybe I just have a YouTube channel or maybe I just have a podcast. Or maybe I just have a, I just want to focus on something because right now it's like, we we jam at home. We we jam in person during Eurovision. London Eurovision party. Blog. You know, Instagram, TikTok. It's a lot. It's go, go to be a, a, a juror at um, Melody Festival yeah. and Estee uh, Lauder, and I mean, just while still working and having a husband and having two cats. We haven't talked about my two cats are like everything. Oh, names? <laughs> Mikey and Barnaby. Oh, they're very different personalities. Oh, yeah, this sweet. is the great one. Oh, <laughs> isn't he cute? We do love pussy. We're looking at photographs on... of pussies right now, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the other thing is that you know when the rehearsals start up to the end of the final, that's two and a half weeks of time. I mean, if you've got a BBC job, do you, do you, is that when you take your, quote, holiday? Exactly. But that's how your, your holiday yeah. is to work 20 hours a day it's for rough. two and a half weeks. It's rough. And I think people see the final edit. They see, you know, a video with a filter and a ring light and giggles. But what they don't see is when everyone else is at Euro Club at 2 a.m., after the final, I'm in the hotel room updating the results post. You know, I'm still very much in the nitty gritty. And that stuff adds up. And that's just not the night. That's every day, every year, every... You don't see the byline, but someone has to keep things running. There, You get legal letters from public bodies over silly things, and you have to deal with them. You get, um, you know, and this is on top of, like, the toxic fan attacks and all this other stuff, which you just kind of ignore, but occasionally kind of peek at. It's just a lot. And um, Do you have an assistant? I have some really good friends who, you know, for instance, during Eurovision, I had a colleague, my friend Freddie, he was basically acting like my PA. He was like, you need to be here, because my book was also coming out at that time. And so we were doing lots of interviews. He's like, you need to be here, here, and here at these times. And God bless him. But, you know, it, I kind of need that all the time, to be honest. During Eurovision mm -hmm. season, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see what happens. I don't know. After my brother died in 2022, I had this sort of Zen, my, mother, my, my relatives were Vietnamese and they're Buddhist, this very Zen moment. And I'll keep this very short. But basically, Buddhists from Vietnam believe 49 days after you die, that's when the spirit ascends and is reborn. 
And in 2022, when my brother died, 49 days later was the red carpet in Turin. And I had forgotten that it was 49 days later, but then we were interviewing We Are Domi, and a storm blows through, and it was like everyone got wet, and everyone was really annoyed, and then the sun came out, and it was like everyone literally went, whoa! It was like the spiritual moment, and I was like, why am I sort of... Why did I get here four hours early with no water? You know, I have to pee, but I can't move. And I've got to ask these questions to all can, these people. Can you just give our listeners a little pen portrait of your brother, who he was, yeah, how you cared yeah. for him, your mum's relationship with him? I think this next one is something to do with that. And also, sorry, <laughs> and also just want Stop. to interject something because you said you worked at the BBC, right? Yes. And you are one of the most... I- if not the most influential people who isn't like directly involved in the entries and you work at the BBC, which famously is in a kind of a Eurovision crisis. Have they ever <laughs> approached you for help? Like, Oh, so there are a lot of rules um, at the BBC about... <laughs> Impartiality. Yeah, yeah it, it would be a bit messy. So that conversation would never happen just because it's very really? messy. Um, but, you know, Mike, I must say like all of my direct line managers are so supportive of my outside pursuits. It's just simpler to keep things separate. Yeah. Oh, that's so strange. BBC is a very complex sort of, it's a very complicated place. And I'm hashtag grateful. Mm -hmm. I'm hashtag aware of the limits that come with being privileged enough to work there. So I I keep it cute and keep it on mute. Let's move on to the next one, which became a massive hit all over Europe, even peaking at number 21 in the UK singles charts, and also became the second Eurovision song of this decade to hit the US Billboard Hot 100, which is a stunning achievement given that it only finished 20th in Eurovision in 2022. And having read your book, which I said before, I'm proud to say I guessed that this would make an appearance tonight. So we are off to Armenia. It's Rosaline and Snap. Why did you pick this one? Oh, this song. There's so much emotional trauma and crisis. <laughs> right, I, I laugh now, so I don't cry. Are you about to trauma dump right now? Yeah, you, this is. A, yeah, this song is a lot. So you never know. Like in your not even at Eurovision, right? A song comes out at a particular time in your life when bad things happen, and then forever that song mm. is attached to that experience. And I feel like this song, for me more than any other, is that song inside Eurovision, outside of Eurovision. Mm. To keep it very top line, this song came out on a Saturday. My brother died on a Sunday. I found out on a Monday while I was listening to this song, basically. I had been looping it. And then I was stuck in central London, and I needed to, I was in a library working on my book. And it was like, I can't have a nervous breakdown here in public, so I've got to get home. But it was rush hour. And so I was going to have to wait an hour in central London. Um, and so this whole time, I'm trying not to, like, wail, basically. And then I get on a bus because there were no Ubers, and I'm stuck on this bus for 45 minutes. And, like, my Spotify, because this song had just come out, it was looping this song. So I'm, like, stuck in a trauma tunnel, basically, because this song is very emotional. Mm -hmm. She basically says, I don't want to snap, so I'm going to snap my fingers. It's sort of a play on words, play on what she's doing. And she's trying to breathe. And so I'm on the bus trying to do everything she says. It It was very meditative, because very top line, but people... What people don't necessarily know is that growing up, I had a severely disabled brother. Couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't use the loo without assistance. And so even though he was 13 years older than me, we were essentially raised together because he came to the United States. My mother had left him in Vietnam during the war. He came to the United States the year I was born. So we were always together. 
And it's like, even though I was 13 years younger, I was the older brother because I could talk. I could empty his urinal, change his diaper, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a very tactile relationship. And it's in the book. It explains in much more detail. But there's a lot of trauma surrounding him because some people say when you have a disabled child, you can also have a disabled family if people are unable to cope with the needs, if people are in a position to provide people you know, with the support they need. And like, we had financial issues, mental health issues. We had a lot of issues that prevented that from happening. <clears throat> so in any case, he passes away, which was really shocking. He had never been given a life expectancy. We had no, how, no idea how long he would live. But I took for granted that, yes, he would die. And he was living at a nursing home at this stage, because when I left the house, there was, my mother's small and my father was old. And I had always helped lift him on the toilet, take him to the bathroom, feed him. But when I'm suddenly gone, they couldn't do that anymore. So they had to put him in a nursing home, which was the best thing that happened to him because it was a community. You know, there are these big orderlies who are paid to lift him and put him on the toilet. So he's not being dropped by accident. You know, my parents dropped him once and broke his leg, not deliberately, but because mm. he's heavy. And um, in the nursing home, he had a community. And like, you know, he'd grab nurses' butts and they would laugh. And in nursing home, other people die. But he was young, so he just kept living. So he was king of this place. He was like, yeah. yeah. And um, he had a very peaceful, like, he had a peaceful death there. But um, all of that and all the stuff not disclosed is wrapped up in this song. Because when I got the news, this was in the air and then indeed on my um, Spotify. So let's listen to it. It's a wonderful song by Rosalind. It's for a Turn my head off Wishing these memories Would fade and never do Turns out people lie They said just snap your fingers As if it was really that easy For me to get over you I Just need time Snapping one, two I'm writing a song So this is the last one How many last songs are left? I'm losing count Since June 22nd My heart's been on fire I've been spending my nights in the rain Trying to put it out So I'm snapping one, two Stop talking to people before I snap, snap, snap. Oh, I might stop talking to people before I snap. Snapping one, two, where are you? Where are you? You're still in my heart. 
I mean, we're not going to mention the term trauma dump for the 19th time in this podcast. Uh, it's a record. It's been 20 minutes. Hi, and welcome to Trauma Dump at Eurobliss. So we are already on to your last song. Again, it's 2022, and I've got two words for you. One is belly dorm. The other one's fest. What a show. Now, be very careful how you answer this next question. Are you are you Rigoberta? Are you Tanshigeras? Or are you Chanel? Be very careful, William Lee Adams. Be very careful. Mommy is here. <laughs> it is Chanel all the way. Oh, oh my God. God. Get out. <laughs> you know, because Eurovision's a TV show, and this was stage ready. It was TV ready from the moment we saw it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She did an amazing job, but we are campaign mama, I'm afraid. Um, I did love the big tit. I'll give you that. That was incredible. We just like tits anyway, don't we, basically. <laughs> Best result for Spain since 1995. Now, my mum will be listening to this, and she was a bit disturbed at the amount of buttock on stage that night, so you're going to have to win her over. Why slow-mo? Oh, this was the quintessential dance stage show. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. The LED, there was no LED. It was just lights. They literally just had lights. And Chanel said, I don't need props. The greatest prop in Turin is my body. It was athletic. It was theatrical. She did things I didn't know people could do. And... I don't know. There was harmony in that dance. It told a story, an empowered woman. The flexibility. I love gymnastics. She was giving me all the moves. Honestly, this was something that could travel across countries. If there had been a rest of the world vote that year, I really think Spain would have gotten another 12 points because this is like MTV EMAs ready. Um, And the fact she was singing. People, there were a lot of questions. People were like, oh, can she sing? She hit that note. That wasn't a pre-recorded backing note. She actually sang that big note. Mad props. If 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 she'd not done all those pyrotechnics, uh, dressed as she was, and the visual performance, and just done it straight as a piece of music, what would you have made of it as a song? I mean, but that's like saying, should Euroband perform it as a ballad? You know, this is my life. You know, I don't know. It's like you take things from one of Iceland's better songs. Must be said. (laughs) It's um. Sure, I think without the cost, it was a total package. Without the costume, without the dance, without the beat, it wouldn't have won. But it's like, you got to figure out what formula works for you at that moment. And I honestly, honestly think that if... Wait, I'm going to pause for a second. What was I going to say about Sam Ryder? Pause for effect. I was going to say... You're going to say that Sam Ryder almost got knocked into third place by by her because she was only yeah. seven points yeah, behind so. in the votes. And also, if Ukraine hadn't won, people think oh, UK would have won. I think Spain would have won. Yes, this is the point. Because I think the votes would have been... Like, a lot of televotes went to Ukraine, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, a hugely emotional story. That was definitely the zeitgeist. But I think a lot of the other votes would have gone to Spain. Like, the televote, was, it, was, it had Spain all over it. Exactly. So I haven't said much about the other entries. I have to say a little bit about this one because I totally trashed this in the preview. But I would say that this is a great example of small changes making a massive difference. Uh, I made a joke about this in our preview show that the chorus felt like a truck backing up, you know, like but, but That's know, unfair to the truck. Yeah, yeah. No. But, but in the Eurovision version, they they amped up the percussive elements, the dance elements. So this kind of amp, amp, amp rhythm is mm. actually counterpointed with the rest of the rhythm and it interrupts 
weaves to create this driving force that makes you want to dance and move. And as someone who didn't like the song, when I saw it live in Eurovision, I was like, ooh, yeah, mama, yeah, you know. No, no, no. I was sold, and I think it absolutely deserved every point it got. Let's play the song. Will you shake your booty? Oh, oh <laughs> Booty in a Rochdale accent's amazing. Cheers, man. <laughs> shake your booty. <laughs> You're right, love. Let's go. Llegó la mami, la reina la dura, una Bugatti. El mundo está loco con este party. Si tengo un problema, no monetary. Le vuelvo loquito a todos los daddy. Pues siempre primera, nunca secondary. Apenas con zoom, zoom, con mi boom, boom. Y le tengo ando zoom, zoom, oh Miami. Y no se confunda. two of the campest moments of the year. One is when the diva rips the hair thing out, throws it on the floor, and then she just magically pulls out a fan, total diva moment, throws it on the floor. I love watching for those moments. But I just wanted to bring up something about Benidorm Fest. Spanish fans, perhaps the most passionate in mm -hmm. all of Eurovision. Like, Bonkers. celebrate everything. Delusional. 
So I won't say that. However, I will say they're incredible. And at Benidormfest, in the jury booth, there was a security protocol where a producer, she came up and she was very strict. She said, listen, you don't give your clipboard to anyone but me. Remember my face? Take a picture now. And I was like, lady, why are you so serious? And she said, last year, there were fans who dressed up fancy to try and get the scores from the jurors. Oh yeah, God. yeah. So they had to have this extra layer of security. <laughs> wow! You did not wow. get with the BBC, would you? Bloody hell! Um, I think there's probably a handful of songs that didn't make your top twelve today that you might want to mention. Oh my goodness! There were my list was twenty five to thirty. One of the one of them that springs to mind is Yana Burcheska Dance Alone. I'm judging the studio oh, cut. Okay. It's a great studio. No, I love it. Love it. Oh, it's beautiful. The rhythm, the rhythm, rhythm follows. Will know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. It was just so beautiful. The video, the young woman, the old woman looking back with regret. Here's some tea for you. They wanted to take that concept to Kiev, to Kiev and have Yana kind of isolated and then having this, like, not VR, but some kind of high-tech rendering, like in a music video, but they didn't have the funds. Oh, yeah. So she was dancing alone. <laughs> Big, big question. Big, big, posh BBC journalistic question. Imagine a world in which your life had continued after 2007, but Eurovision had never been part of it. What vacuum or gap or sense of something missing has been given to you as William Lee Adams as a result of encountering this crazy, silly, but wonderful contest? Mm. This is going to sound cheesy, but, and I've said this before, so apologies if you heard this, because I think I tweet this all the time, but Susie from Portugal in 2014. Quero ser la tuya. Yeah, quero ser tu. I love yeah. that one. I want to be your. Quero ser tu. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that should have qualified. She was telling me, she's like, I'm a flight attendant in Dubai. I used to sell pharmaceuticals in Canada. I was traveling in the U.S., and her basic thesis was, the longer you live abroad, the less you know where your home is. And Juan, maybe you can relate to this. When you move to another country, you lose an anchor. It's things... I never had one. Oh. I, but I don't miss one. I don't need one. Identity is not nationality. Identity mm. is what you want it to be. Yes. That's a fair interpretation. Mm -hmm. I think I needed an anchor of some kind at that stage in my mm -hmm. life. Um, Eurovision at that time kind of blew in, and so I attached to it. But it does make me wonder, gosh, what if I had attached to ultimate cage fighting? <laughs> or, you I don't know, see that happening. <laughs> 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 like, I'm just glad I landed in a place that's interesting because I'm not from Europe. And so for me, it's like this Eurovision's this great jewelry box and you can pull out the rhinestones, the rubies, mm -hmm. the diamonds, and you can learn so much. And um, I just don't know where I would be. It's uh, a little scary, actually. Just a little quote from your book, which uh, I know you've read the review I've posted on Amazon about your book, but uh, on page 125, uh, William says, this book is about how living boldly and honestly may win more people to your side than cowering on the sidelines. Do you yeah. remember writing that? Yeah, so that was about like being 13, 14, 15. And like, you know, showing up at school in a dress in the deep south of the U.S. Looking back, I'm like, how were you out? How were you? Because things are difficult now, let alone in what, 90. What did you, can you repeat that, please? What did you say? Yeah, so like when I was 13, 14, 15, I was showing up 
in the Deep South in public in a dress. You know, and <gasps> that's amazing. Oh my god, it's terrifying looking back. Actually, and you get all these uh, young women on your side. Yeah, and basically it's like you and the army of them against these homophobic testosterone-filled, rather insecure brutes. With guns, you know, guns and But you, you sort of win. Yeah. Because they look at you and they say, how is he getting on so well with these girls and we're not? <laughs> exactly. You're not threatening and women like you? Whoa! <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think a lot of that applies to Eurovision. I think most Eurovision fans, if you go back in your personal history and especially LGBTQ fans, LGBTQ fans, you can pull out the sense of isolation, separation, difference, and how you wanted a little bit of extravagance and glamour because it was filling this this void. I don't know, it, you wanted to feel included. You wanted to see that other peacocks had their feathers out and were happy. Ultimately, that's what it is. You just want to be happy. And um, yeah, there's there's strong connection, I think, with troubled childhoods and pouring yourself into an interest full stop. And then when you look at Eurovision, I know y'all can draw some lines to your past. <laughs> How does a young gay guy in a tough part of Atlanta survive with a dad who you said honestly in your book, you know, could have been a Ku Klux Klan member, mm. given some of his views, mm. an ex-army military He's the last person who wants a queer kid. Oh, yeah, and he made that very clear by constantly referencing the AIDS epidemic. So when I was eight years old, it was 1989. So this is kind of, in the United States, for gay men, a really horrible time, you know, in terms of media portrayal. Um, older gay men were losing all their friends. I remember I had a, this is many years later, but a man of that generation was telling me in his agenda he would only write people's numbers down in pencil because he knew they would die and he had to erase them. Oh God, so you have horror. all of that in the background. And my dad was constantly telling me, in other words, that's going to be you if you continue down this path of sin. And, you know, he was old. He was from a different generation. And so I try not to begrudge him because he was a product of his environment. But I was blessed in the sense that I was so flamboyant and so feminine and so obviously gay that it, in many ways, forced me to come out. So did you say it was? Yeah, it was. A, looking back at the time, it felt like hell. I was like, oh, my God, everyone knows I'm gay. Everyone calls me queer. Everyone, But it was like I had to deal with all of that very early. Whereas then in college, you know, in our 20s, there are all these guys who are like, oh, I have to tell you something. I'm gay. I'm like, girl, I already done no. You know, but it's like, <laughs> but it's just. I think your dress had already made you come out. <laughs> but it's a, yeah. 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 So yeah. you came out at like 13, 14, even earlier, maybe? Oh, yeah. I started telling people when I was 12. Strong. That and is strong. I showed up Especially at Especially with your, I mean, Jesus Christ, with your background and everything. How, that area, yeah. How you, did you get to that point? You kind of take a leap. When you, when you do it once, and you're like, I'm still alive, I'll do it again. And then when I was 15, I showed up at the, it was the summer camp dance. And I was like, I'm going to announce that I'm gay and that I'm here. And so I show up in a you're dress. You're the camp in the summer camp. Yeah. <laughs> expecting all the gays just to come out of the palm trees. You know, they didn't. <laughs> if anything, it pushed them further back. And I became friends with them years later, one of them. And he was like, yeah, you scared me. And so it pushed me further in the closet. <laughs> you were the worst advert for gay live going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you just, I don't know. Sometimes you don't have a choice. People who can pass, I think it can be more difficult for them. Because when you have the choice to hide, you know, you could hide. And then you have to delay your acceptance of yourself. Whereas for me, yeah, it sucked at the time being out and being the only one. But like, I was precocious in the sense that, okay, I've dealt with that. I'm just going to, and you learn to deal with it. Well, I don't want to finish this because it could be endless, but we're going to have to stop at some point. So I think we need to wrap up. Thank you so much. 
Thank you all so much. And coming on to our little show. It's been a treat to meet you. Can I just say, you said little show, but there's so much personality. It's overflowing. (laughs) It ain't little. Can I also just say, it's been such a pleasure having you here and having your insights. And it, you know, really, really so interesting. So Uh, let's Thank you for being a guest. It's been amazing. Well, we're going to flip this. We're going to flip the script and y'all have to come be in one of our videos. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to interview y'all next time. No. Well, I'm going to have to get a Deben with. <laughs> Debin has so much in his closet, I've heard. I've never been to his house. <laughs> but what about pre-2000? So, uh, no, I think you, we should get you back uh, once you've ploughed through the first 51 shows and you, you can redo <laughs> yeah. your Desert Island round two, hey, absolutely. Gina G, I'm here for you, girl. <laughs> once you've ploughed through uh, us. Ploughed through uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Then, okay, sorry. So that's it for us now. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you for listening. Tati bye for now. Je t'aime, moi non plus. Bye. 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 Run credits. <laughs>